Well, the problem is there's no one at the store buying produce. There's no one at the store buying anything. Purchasing takes place in a global computerized system now abetted by artificial intelligence that is missioned to provide non-seasonal, standardized deliveries of products, including produce, milk, dairy, and meats, to maximize profit. Welcome to the Real Organic Podcast. I'm Lindley Dixon, co-director of the Real Organic Project. We're a grassroots, farmer-led movement with an add-on organic food label to distinguish organic crops grown in healthy soils and organic livestock raised on well-managed pasture. You just heard from Alan Lewis. He's an ag policy expert with the Colorado-based grocery chain, Natural Grocers. Alan is a true champion of Real Organic and of keeping our food system democratic and healthy. He always blows our mind about what's really happening on the shelves of the big box stores and on loading docks, and this time around is no exception. Our next speaker is Alan Lewis. Uh, I met Alan uh, before the Real Organic Project at the National Organic Standards Board meetings. And uh, he gave my favorite description of the Real Organic Project as the last Jedi fighting the Empire. And he would know because he is coming to us uh, from, from understanding uh, that food system so well. And when we had our first conference uh, back in, in Dartmouth in uh, 2019, uh, the whole audience was just floored that this is the way it works. And I think the awareness about how it's worked has changed quite a bit since COVID and over the next five years. So see if you're as floored as we were when we first heard about it. Alan. Thank you, Lindley. So Dartmouth, I got off the stage thinking I had failed to convince anyone of anything because it was rote knowledge to me in the retail food system just how, what's the appropriate term that's not a cuss word, messed up it is. And so weeks later, I was talking to, to Dave Chapman, and he said, no, Alan, kind of like what Lindley said, he said, you floored people because there were farmers in the room and advocates in the room and a lot of other people in the room who didn't understand how hard this is and why it's so hard. So Dave asked me to come back and go over this again, slice this cake again, and I'm going to put some frosting on it at the end as well. Since then, to put this in context, I have been kicked out of Google and the Google Food Lab for this speech, and I've been kicked off of LinkedIn by Bill Gates and Microsoft Corporation for this speech. And so I'd like everyone to pause and appreciate the fact that we are here, we're breathing, we're standing, we're well-fed, and we get to speak to each other freely. 
So thank you, Dave. Thank you, Lindley. So 100 years ago, there were 100,000 local retailers that knew your grandparents, potentially knew your parents, Francis. <laughs> and you could bring that food to the store. They could go to a small depot, pick up grain, pick up flour, pick up bread, and sell it in that store. Uh, 40 years ago, there were 30,000 in the natural foods business, which is your core retail customer. There's only 3,000 stores left, including natural grocers. And I'm going to throw in what seems like a pitch for natural grocers, but we're west of the Mississippi. Most people don't know us here, but it's keep coming up, this question of education. So the Isley family founded this about 70 years ago because they got sick from eating bad food. And they were determined to find clean food and whole foods for their customers, and they opened these stores. But in order to get customers, what do you have to do? You have to educate them relentlessly. So every one of our 170 stores has a qualified nutritional health coach that trains all of the staff and provides free coaching to the customers and maintains a science library. And we have a group of curriculum writers uh, that, that develop a science magazine called the Health Hotline that's physically mailed to a half million of our subscribers um, eight times a year. And we have two million people who've signed up to receive that electronically. That's what it takes to get people to pay more for better food that supports a food system and supports our society. Um, I would love to brag about it. I've only been there 20 years. My boss is on 60. But it's really important to understand that that work is being done. And those 3,000 independent natural products retailers that I've just mentioned, they're the ones still carrying that banner. So we lost our retailers. They've all been consolidated. There used to be hundreds of big distributors regionally that would bring in quality food move it around, process it, deliver it to other regions or whatever. That's collapsed. He, imagine a big slide with a bunch of dots and uh, hundreds of dots and four circles around it, right? Those circles representing the consolidation. Um, the distribution is now down to two in the natural products, KHE and UNFI of, of substance and a few dozen in the conventional, which is 95% of the business, and most of those distribution systems are run by the big retailers. Walmart, Costco, Target, Kroger, Safeway, you get the idea. And But within that, there's 700,000 UPCs, stock-keeping units, individual, unique products that are being tracked, that have adequate sales that the tracking services know that they have sales. 10,000 of those are certified organic. Why is this so hard? In Colorado, 85% of food retailer retail is by Walmart, Kroger, Target, Costco. The rest of us, Whole Foods, Natural Grocers, affiliated and associated, get the 10 or 12% that's left over. Why is this so hard? 
And for dairy, as we've heard before, it's even worse. Colorado used to have thousands of dairies. Now we have 100. We have one pooler, DFA, Dairy Farmers of America, which is the co-op, not a co-op. They absolutely controls the industry. Veterinary services, pickup service, haulage, processing, everything. So if you're not playing with DFA, if you're an organic dairy, a goat dairy, a cheesemaker, good luck with that. That's why it's so hard. We'll hear more from Zephyr Teach about Teach Out about the anti-competitive issues. And I just want to place a seed with you all, Capper Volstead, Capper Volstead, Capper Volstead. That's the original law from the late 30s that protected farmer co-ops that the co-ops used to compete against each other and eliminate the competition, which is why we have one left. Trying to move on. About 10 holding companies control all the CPG brands that are out there. Same number of people are, are manufacturing all of the private label brands, like Natural Grocers brand, Kroger brand, Safeway brand, Kirkland brand. So imagine when I had my PowerPoint, I always showed a pickup, a red pickup, backing up to a loading dock with the most beautiful organic produce in the back, melons and peppers and cucumbers and greens. And I'd ask the question, in this system that I'm describing, what happens when you back up your best in that pickup to my loading dock? Well, the problem is there's no one at the store buying produce. There's no one at the store buying anything. Purchasing takes place in a global computerized system now abetted by artificial intelligence that is missioned to provide non-seasonal, standardized deliveries of products, including produce, milk, dairy, and meats, to maximize profit. There is no produce buyer to look at that pickup, smell your melons, thank you for growing local, and putting out a sign in the, in the produce aisle that says, this is the best of the best. You really got to buy this. In addition, those handful of retailers that are buying all of these products on the global market, they're ordering electronically based on algorithms. They're receiving electronically based on a predetermined algorithm and computer system and tracking system that's being paid for electronically and digitally. <laughs> Sorry, Dave, it really gets depressing, I know. <laughs> and, and there's no human intervention here. So, call, yeah, bring that pickup to my loading dock, write out your handwritten invoice or an IOU, and ask me to buy it and pay for it. The system can't just has rejected normal human trade, normal community exchange of goods and services. In addition, everything you do is tracked. 
We know you're here. We know where your cell phone slept. We know where your cell phone works. We know where you shopped. We know where you stopped before you shopped with us and where you're going to shop afterwards. We know that you're standing in front of the yogurt section in the grocery store so we can serve you a coupon for something full for yo play for your kids. The whole provisioning system for fresh produce in particular is actually run by the fresh produce associations. They know how much is being grown in each latitude north and south of the globe. They know when it is greening and ready to be ethylene uh, in transit to appear ripe when it hits the stores. They know whether there's too much or too little, when to set the price low and run promotions versus when to send out PR that says we have a delivery problem. You're going to pay more for avocados or bananas or lychee or whatever it is this year. That's all above our pay grade now. It's, it, it, it's a system that runs under its own power and under its own logic. Hydroponics in particular, you're going to hear from Hugh Kent next, and we always tag team this thing. Uh, when you think about how hydroponics is being used in Mexico and Peru and the southern U.S. to decimate land, water resources, worker, worker welfare, community vitality, it's astounding that we are willing to call those outcomes organic and those practices organic. We're going to see more of that in a bit. So what does the supermarket do? Supermarket sells real estate. We sell supermarket real estate by the square inch. This real estate, not so good. That real estate, not so good. Oh, this real estate, or in the cereal aisle, this real estate, right? <laughs> the Fruit Loops, the Cocoa Puffs, what, whatever it is, the, the candy aisle, but every one of those square inches is fought over by the big brands, the big manufacturers, and internally the house brands, the private brands, because if it's there, it has a chance of selling. Back your pickup with that beautiful produce, that beautiful yogurt and cheese and meat, Back it up to that system, and the system doesn't even recognize that you're there except to give you a parking ticket or a boot. So the big organizations that manage the brands and the manufacturing and the provisioning for those factories, they are selling into retail hundreds if not thousands of individual SKUs, stock-keeping units, products with UPCs on them. And in the past, there used to be a buyer, a category manager who would think through what your, our customer base wanted and fine tune this or that or the other and decide and, and cut a deal with that person for that and this for that and that farmer here and that dairy here. What happens now is there's one great big easy button because you go to Kellogg's or General Mills or Haynes Celestial or whoever and you hit the easy button because your system wants to maximize profit and efficiency and the best way is to cut one contract or very few number of contracts each with each of those big provisioners 
and it shows up and it gets the shelf space and it's all done electronically. The idea that a grocery store or a conventional grocery buyer is going to go outside of that system to help the little guy, to support the local community, to avoid damaging Jalisco, Mexico, just it, that, that would be a complete pipe dream. Okay, that's enough cutting of the cake. When I was on the original standard-setting board for Real Organic Project, what I can't be thankful enough for that, you know, spending three days locked up with 14 farmers who knew their stuff and didn't let anything out of my mouth that wasn't challenged. That was, that was quite the privilege. And I did okay. Towards the end, though, I, I, I called a pause and I said, let, let me tell you what I'm hearing that I don't think y'all realize. That the idea of organic agriculture in an organic farm takes place embedded in a community and a business ecosystem in an environment and in a landscape. And the problem with big organic is all of those connections are broken. We have 10,000 square feet of lettuce in the Salinas Valley that's grown four times a year using immigrant labor. And is it organic? Well, the inputs may be, but the idea of organic being embedded in a community gets lost very quickly. And notice that all of this system that I'm describing not only doesn't care about those relationships and those codependencies, but it's designed to break every single one of them. So when you look across the heartland, rural America, with depopulated cities, uh, with broken municipalities, with kids leaving as fast as they can because there's no opportunity and there's no life left in the town they grew up with, you see the result of the system that we're living in. So let's get back to Google and Microsoft. Oh, so butthurt. Kicked out of Google, kicked out of LinkedIn. So I was telling this to Reginaldo last night, and I'll, I'll warn you, when Reggie does this, Alan, do you want to know the truth? Careful about saying yes. But Reggie said, look, yeah, your voice was silenced in those venues, but it hurts because you think your voice matters. Your voice mattered to Bill Gates and the folks at Google Food Lab because it was part of a movement. It represented the power of everyone in this room. And just because I'm silenced here or all of us are silenced any place in our life doesn't mean that the voice of the movement is diminished. In fact, my story right now that I'm telling you should fire you up about being more vocal, more precise in your language, Abby, and more far 
thinking and the systemic effects of, of, the, of the world we live in and how the Real Organic Project and its principles are in fact the basis for that. Let's not forget that when the system broke down during COVID, when the folks in Peru and in India and Mexico either couldn't make the food that we buy or decided to keep it for themselves, who got in their pickup? People in the city got in the pickup. They drove out to your farm gate and said, hey, feed us, make us healthy. They drove out to you and asked for what you produced because they know intuitively, innately, inherently that what they're buying from the supermarket is sketch and ultimately the real value in food and agriculture and community resides in the area around them. So I'm going to leave you with that happy thought and again thank Reggie and, and, and Dave. Um, and I believe in this. I, I, I believe we are building the future. I don't think that's uh, a slogan. I don't think it's cute. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's something to say uh, lightly. I think ultimately when we talk about the principles that all of us believe in in this room, it's going to be fundamentally important over the next generation that we, that we, that we hold steady on this. So thank you. Thank you for listening to The Real Organic Podcast. Our movement is growing because you're subscribing and sharing these podcasts with your friends. Keep it up and leave us a rating and a review as well. You can find a video version of this interview on our newly designed website, realorganicproject.org, or on our YouTube channel. Next week, we'll hear from Francis Tickey, a dairy farmer in Iowa and former National Organic Standards Board member. Francis is also on the executive board of The Real Organic Project, and we appreciate his wisdom on the impact of the National Organic Program's allowance of the certification of dairies with thousands of cows in the arid desert. As both a PhD soil scientist and farmer, Francis sees how these policies have worked to replace small family farms in the hilly regions where it rains and grass grows naturally with mega dairies that are draining aquifers in the arid west, particularly in Colorado and Texas.